How are you guys doing this morning? Okay, if you say so, I believe you. Uh, I am doing exceptionally well um, because we PCS in a week, so there's that. Um, also because the Lord is risen, he's on the throne, and we're going to heaven. Um, so there's all kinds of reasons to be excited, whether you just got here to Okinawa and you still have three years left, or if you're finishing up your three years and you're just excited to go to California and pick up surfing as a hobby or something like that. So that's just me. Now, my, my wife is from San Diego, and uh, I have been in San Diego for most of my adult life. Um, so that's the closest thing that I have to home at this point. So we're just excited to go back. But I can honestly say, after being here for three years and being a part of the, the Pillar family, um, this, this community, this faith community, has been our most significant highlight uh, of our time here in Okinawa. So if you are visiting for the first time and you're, you're just PCS'd here, uh, we live right next to the Courtney Lodge, so we, we're seeing tons of families come in. Um, so as there's that summer influx, if you guys are looking for a church family, I gotta tell you, um, the pastor for here is amazing. His, his wife's amazing. They have um, amazing hearts uh, for the, the faith community here at Pillar. There's so many great men of God, women of God, even, even kids uh, little, 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 little tiny Christians running around. It's a great, a great forever family. If you're looking for a, a church community to spend your time in Okinawa, you found it. Congratulations and coffee too, in the back. So my name is is Stephen Griffin, and uh, this will be my last chance to preach with you guys. Um, so I just thought like maybe uh, if you give me like two hours this morning. Uh, so you're lucky you came to the nine o'clock service because the eleven o'clock service. There's just we can just keep going and going and going. But this one I kind of have to end by 11, so, so you're good. Uh, but I am going to try to push through a very tricky passage as we continue a series in James. Uh, we're coming into James chapter 2, verse 14, the whole faith without works is dead. Um, James brings it. So I'm going to blame anything that you struggle with, I'm going to blame it on James. Um, you can take it up with him uh, and the divine um, inspired word of God. Um, and then I'll just try to represent it well. Does that sound good? It's going to be a party. It's going to be a party. But this is a, a tricky passage, so it's, it's going to go deep. We're going to try to go there, go deep, and then, and then come back up for air uh, towards the end with some good application. So let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, thank you for this privilege and this opportunity to once again uh, come into this place uh, that you have provided for this community to come together. Uh, Lord, we, we are the church. We could meet uh, wherever. We could meet out on the beach. We could meet out in the park. Um, but God, you've been gracious and kind to provide this nice air-conditioned venue um, for us to gather in your name and to worship and to declare um, the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. So I pray that as we worship together, as we continue in our time, as we've been able to worship in song, and now as we worship together in the truth of your word, uh, Lord, that you would open our hearts um, that you, as the, the helper, the comforter, the guide, uh, the Holy Spirit would teach us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Oh, man. James chapter 2. Uh, so I want to start off um, giving you a quick heads up. There's this kind of a three-part outline. Uh, I really wanted it to be alliterated. I get really excited about alliteration, um, but unfortunately, I couldn't, I couldn't work that out. It wasn't there. Uh, but I got three parts for you. So the first part we're going to talk about you guys in the Marine Corps, you're going to love this. I, I was a four-year enlisted Marine before I became a chaplain in the Navy, so I could go back with Marines. Um, but the stupid never dies. It's always like right there in a little jar in the back somewhere. Uh, but there, there's a beautiful Marine Corps publication um, called Sustaining the Transformation. 
Any old salty, crusty Marines, this is 1999, General Krulak, when he was the Commandant of the Marine Corps, published this, uh, this reference publication, Marine Corps reference publication, Sustaining the Transformation. Anybody? Am I the only salty? Okay, there's a couple of salty. It's weird, because like, I'm that old guy now that when I meet young 18-year-old Marines, I'm like, I have boot bands older than you, son. It's a true story. It's a true story. So I keep Sergeant Griffin somewhere in a wall locker back in storage. So uh, Sustain the Transformation, 1999, like I said, this was the Commandant of the Marine Corps uh, talking about the continuing process of transforming Marines. And what he was trying to say with this publication, what the Marine Corps is trying to say is, we take a Marine from their first conversation with that recruiter, where we sell them a bill of goods, and we talk to them about things like esprit de corps, you know, an honor, courage, and commitment, semper fidelis, always faithful. God, country, core. And then we bring in a boot camp, and we, we show them the model Marines. They're squared away. They can do a million pull-ups. They don't sweat when they run three miles. They're, they're machines, and you're going to become that one day. So then they get to the fleet, and the idea is that we want to continue that sustaining the transformation where we're going to instill these beliefs into individuals. And essentially, we're going to disciple young men and women to espouse the beliefs of the Marine Corps. Honor, courage, commitment. So sustaining the transformation is discipleship. And that's why, that's why I love that particular publication, because there's such a, a direct correlation to what we're trying to do as Christians. We're trying to sustain the transformation that happened when you stood on the yellow footprints and you said, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Would you please forgive me of my sins? Come into my life. Transform me, right? So what happens with the young Lance Corporal, you know, when they get to the fleet, they've been in the Marine Corps for about a year. What happened to all that honor, courage, and commitment, and semper fidelis, and high and tights, and it, the haircut just gets lower and lower and lower until male pattern baldness forces you to bring it back up to that high motivation level? So what happens? What happened to me is I, I drank the Kool-Aid, and it was good. I was like, I like this. I need this in my life. Honor, courage, come here, let's do this. I got the tattoo and everything. Super excited. So I go to Camp Pendleton, my first tour, and I get into the fleet, and I'm mixing it up, and I realize it's not actually cool to be so moto, right? They had all kinds of derogatory terms for people that were motivated, uh, that, that loved the Marine Corps a little too much, uh, that spit shine their boots a little too much back when we had leather polished boots and starched camis. So what happened was I kind of just decided I don't have to actually try that hard to fit in. I can just kind of slow down, pull back a little bit, secure that motivation a little bit, and I can just fit in and I can just get by. And my uniform still says, us Marines. I'm still part of the family, right? So think about the Christian context now. How many people do you know that when they first came to Christ, they had this overwhelming zeal for God, and they just, they, they bought the big study Bible, you know, and they carried that big study Bible to church, and they just was like on their shoulder like, hey, brother, how you doing, sister? You know, they were, they were super motivated, and they couldn't stop talking about Jesus. Everywhere they went, they would talk to the cashier about, hey, do you know if you stood before a holy and righteous God tonight, and he was asking you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? You're like, that'd be 495, sir. Uh, would that be cash or credit? But we, we, we get so zealous initially when we, when we come to the family of faith, but then sometimes we, we get around, you know, the, the culture a little bit, and we're just like, oh, I actually could just get a smaller, you know, thin line reference Bible, or maybe just download the app, and, you know, 
I'm not saying the size of your Bible determines your motivation and zeal for the Lord, but you guys get what I'm saying. We, we find out we, maybe we don't have to try so hard. We can just secure that zeal a little bit, tone it down, and still be okay. You know, and culturally, that's good enough. You know a couple Bible stories, you show up to church, you're good. Is that real? That's real life, right? So sustaining the transformation is a real thing. And that's kind of what James is going to do, because I got to tell you, like, there, there's a couple reasons I think that as Christians, we have a hard time sustaining the transformation. I think we get stuck uh, in ruts of sin. Um, that can be a thing that, that inhibits us from sustaining the transformation. Uh, we get scared. You know, what if they think I'm too moto? What if they think I'm too moto? People are going to think I'm weird. People might make fun of me. Right? Isn't that kind of funny that the worst persecution for most of us that we'll ever experience as Christians is that people might tease us and make fun of us just with their words? Isn't that crazy? But we're so afraid of that. We're so afraid of maybe, uh, maybe you want to step out. Maybe you want to be zealous for God, but you're afraid you'll say the wrong thing or you'll misrepresent um, the gospel or the truth. You misrepresent Jesus, so you just decide maybe it's better just let the professionals handle it. And I'll just, you know, I'll bring my friend to church, and hopefully they'll hear the gospel there. I won't actually say anything because then uh, it won't be me that they reject, right? That's, that's real. Christians are afraid. Uh, we're afraid of, of stepping out too much and maybe we'll fail. Does that, does that behavior really reflect our belief? You know? Sustaining the transformation, you know, your behavior starts to betray your belief because if you really believe certain things, you will behave a certain way. And this is what James just gets in and just scrambles our eggs and messes it all up. Because, man, I, I give, you know, but I don't really like to give until it's uncomfortable. I don't like to exercise faith when I give. I like to just work out the math um, so that I can give and still pay my bills, you know? But I don't, I don't necessarily give until it's uncomfortable requiring faith. I fast sometimes, you know, until I reach my weight goals, and then I can and go ahead and get that cheeseburger, you know? That's real life. I serve. I try to serve when it's convenient for me. You know, it's convenient. It works in my schedule, so I do that. Um, I always stop at stop signs, especially when PMO is, is on the other side of the intersection watching me. Always. Every time. When PMO is behind me, no problem. So like I said, James comes in and says, you know, talk is cheap. If you say that you, you know, you're proud to claim the title, you know, the song, we are proud to claim the United right? So if you are proud to claim the title of Christian and you bear the name of Christ and you are his ambassador, there are certain behaviors that should reflect that or prove that. So that's what, that's what James is getting into. He's kind of like that old salty sergeant major that's just crusty walking around. And he's like, look here, devil dog, you're a Marine 24-7. It's not a job, it's an identity. Like, okay, okay. But sometimes we, we put on that Christian uniform and we go do a Christian thing from nine to five, and then we take off the Christian uniform and we just do us. And James is saying that is not gonna cut it. That's not gonna cut it. So that's part one, sustain the transformation. It is a difficult thing to live out Christian values, but the idea is that we are being transformed into the image and likeness of Christ. And I look in the mirror every day and I see, hmm, Still not quite there. I mean, I'm close, but not quite there, right? I'm not quite like the image of Christ yet. I'm still in that mirror dimly, um, but we're working there. Transform. Part two, 
This is where we're going to get into the text here. James uh, talks about diagnosing dead faith. So part two, diagnosing dead faith. And he uses some pretty uh, awesome language here. This passage is, is interesting because it seems to contradict the majority of the New Testament to the point that Martin Luther, uh, kind of a big deal, he felt like James shouldn't even be a part of the Bible because he doesn't uh, preach salvation by grace through faith, overtly. So Martin Luther actually felt like James shouldn't be a part of the canon. It's a, it's a good book. There's some good practical stuff in there, but it shouldn't even be a part of the Bible. That's crazy. That's crazy. He felt like this is why he thought that, because Romans, Martin Luther's favorite book, um, gives a very, very uh, comprehensive argument for salvation by grace, through faith. It's not by works. It's purely by faith. Abraham justified by faith. So this is what he says in verse uh, 28, chapter 3 in Romans. Um, I'm just going to read this to you real quick. We will get to James eventually. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law, period. We maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from serving, observing the law. But then you come over to James 2, 24, close to the end of the text we're going to read today. And he says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So you're justified by faith apart from observing the law. You're justified by works and not by faith alone. So there's an apparent contradiction that we have to deal with. And that's why I'm so thankful that John, uh, in, his, in his wisdom before he went on sabbatical, decided to allow me to, to preach this. I really appreciate that. So John, if you're listening out there later this week, uh, thank you for this opportunity. So please don't stone me um, until the end if I, if I get this wrong. I'm going to try to represent this well because I don't think it's a contradiction at all. Um, so just for uh, clarity's sake, the church for centuries, um, even millennia, has argued that James is in fact an inspired book of the Bible. Uh, we agree on that now. Even Martin Luther came around and said, James, okay, we'll let him. He's, he's good. Uh, so essentially, this is what we could say. We could say that, that Paul argued for the priority of faith in salvation. Paul argued for the priority of faith, but James argues for the proof of faith. And this is what he, what he says, is essentially this. You are justified judicially. Justified judicially, as in declared righteous, a, a judicial declaration of righteousness based on faith, is what Paul argues. James doesn't dispute that, but he says you are justified evidentially by, by works. So you're justified judicially as in declared righteous because you have believed in the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. There is no redemptive work left to be done beyond Jesus on the cross. He did all of that work. He paid it all. All to him we owe. We can't do any, I need to make that very clear as we get into the weeds here, we cannot do anything more than what Jesus has already done. So we are declared righteous by faith. But we are justified evidentially that our faith is effective by our works. And this is what James is saying. It's almost like a continuation of, hey, you're saved by grace through faith, man. You just, you just say that prayer and you just believe in Jesus and you are saved. But if we leave it there, then we kind of are, are taking that cheap grace approach, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. You know, it's, it's cheap grace that we would just say a prayer, and then magically we're just saved. Like if, if I come down the altar uh, with my beautiful bride, and I take vows, and then I walk out of the church, 
and I continue on just the way I was before, dating other women, I don't live with my wife, I don't you know, create a family with her, I don't treat her like my wife, I just continue doing me, would you say I'm married? No, I mean, you said the things, you did, this, you did the thing initially, but you don't have any works to show that you are actually married. So this is what James is saying. Does that make sense? We're not saying that you, you're justified as, uh, uh, salvation-wise through works, but evidentially-wise, that your faith is effective. So the classic analogy really applies here. Um, you might have heard this. I, I probably was in fifth grade or sixth grade. The first time I heard, you know, if you were arrested and put on trial uh, and, and evidence was brought forth, to, you, know, you were convicted of being, uh, or you were accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If somebody followed you around, a, a secret spy, 007, followed you around with a, a video camera and recorded your conversations and your actions, observed and unobserved, would there be enough evidence presented in a courtroom to say, guilty, you are a Christian through and through. Like, the works show that. The works prove that. You are declared a Christian based on your works. And that's what James is trying to say, that if that's not the case, then can your faith really save you? Is that faith really a saving faith, or is it just words? So I guess if there was a title to this message, it would be Talk is Cheap. You know, you're not saved by words. You're not saved by a declaration of faith only. So essentially, he's saying you can't separate the two. So let's get into this now. We're going to read verses 14 uh, through 26. And I've kind of set a, a, a big introduction um, through talking about the sustained transformation, diagnosing dead faith. I want to set that uh, context for us to have this conversation. So verse 14, James says, what good is it, my brothers? Think about this as an essay. He's presenting his case. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, so he says he has faith, but does not have works, can that faith save him? This is the question uh, posed. And what a great question that is. Don't we, don't we still wonder that today? How do you really know if you're saved? Is it because they said a prayer? Is it because they're, you know, relatively a good person? They don't go around lying, cheating, stealing overtly? You know, so maybe, yeah, I think. So that's the question that, they, that they, he's wrestling with. And he starts with this analogy in verse 15. I love this. It's so, it's so basic. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and they lack daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, God bless you, right? Without actually giving him the things needed for the body, what good is that? And you can just imagine this. Somebody comes to your house, and they're clearly in need. Maybe they're, they're uh, hungry. They, they look emaciated. They're, they're starving, and they're just tattered clothes, and you don't know where they come from. It's like, man, God bless you. All right, shut the door. I got to go back. Netflix, I got to go back, right? What good is that? Have you demonstrated the love of Christ at all? In 1 John, he says it this way. If you have the world's goods, and you see a brother or a sister in need, and you don't do anything to help them, how can you say you have the love of Christ in you? Because works is proof of that genuine faith or genuine love. So this is a great, a great way to start his argument. Essentially, again, talk is cheap. And this is his thesis, that a faith claim, I believe in Jesus. Yep, Jesus is Lord, I believe. A faith claim apart from action, a transformed life demonstrating Christ-likeness is useless. It's inactive, it's unaffected, and in fact, it is dead. Strong words. 
So James goes on with his, this essay, uh, posing a series of statements. In verse 18, he says, Someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? So it's kind of like this. Break this down a little bit. On one side, somebody might say, yeah, I believe in God. But James is saying, that's, that's, that's not it. And somebody on the other side might say, I'm a good person. And we would say, that's, that's not it. You can't have genuine faith without accompanying works. And works without accompanying faith is also not quite good enough. And this is the argument that he's building. His point, again, is that genuine faith is expressed in works, and the two are inseparable. Two are inseparable. I love the way that Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase, uh, otherwise known as the message, um, puts it this way. I love this. I'm going to read this a little bit theatrically, because I imagine Eugene Peterson just getting into this. So he says, I can already hear one of you agreeing by saying, sounds good. You take care of faith department. I'll handle the works department. Not so fast. You can no more show me your works apart from your faith then I can show you my faith apart from my works. Faith and works, works and faith. They fit together like a hand in a glove. Do I hear you professing to believe in the one and only God, but then I observe you complacently sitting back as if you had done something wonderful? That's, that's just great. Demons do that. But what good does it do them? Use your head. Do you suppose that for a minute you can cut faith and works in two and not end up with a corpse on your hands. What he's saying is once you separate, isn't that good? I le- There's a little bit inspired. Like once you separate faith from works, you don't have anything that is spiritual life. Spiritual life, saving faith, or works done in, in righteousness, they, they go hand in hand. And what he's saying, faith without works is dead. You, you can't separate the two without just having a corpse. Crazy, crazy. Like it says, it's strong words, but he breaks it down. So part one, uh, we talked about sustaining the transformation. Part two, we talked about diagnosing dead faith. What does dead faith look like? It looks like faith that doesn't have Christ-like works accompanying it. How can you say you are a Christian if there is no evidence to say that your behavior matches your belief? He's saying you might want to look at what you say you believe you might not actually believe it if you don't behave in accordance with your beliefs. All right, part three, demonstrating living faith. So this is where he kind of swings the pendulum in the argument. We've diagnosed dead faith. It's that faith that doesn't have any accompanying works. It's that person that says, God bless you, brother. Uh, I'm not going to actually help you. No, 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 no. You go to the church on Sunday, they probably soup kitchen or something. I'm not going to help you. How can you say you have the love of Christ in you? How can you say you have a saving faith? So we're going to swing the pendulum now and give two examples from the Old Testament. One, you know, the patriarch, Abraham. And then the other one, a Gentile, a non-Jew, and in fact, a prostitute, the most unlikely hero of the faith. And he gives these two examples. So verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Now, again, if you look at Romans 3 and 4, and you talk about the basis of salvation, Paul uses Abraham also to say, guys, look at Abraham. 
He was declared righteous before he did anything. So again, James isn't saying salvation-wise justified. He's saying evidentially justified. You see that faith was active. Faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. So there he's clarifying what he's saying. Faith was there also. He's not saying like, look, man, Abraham just did good things, and so he was accepted by God. He's saying Abraham had faith, and then he proved it. He proved it. In verse 23, the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteous. And it was, it was fulfilled when he proved his faith. He proved the genuineness of his faith. Because what if, what if Abraham, you know, he's sitting there you know, in, the, in the city of the town of Ur, you know, in his, with his father, and um, God comes and he says, Abraham, I want you to come out from your father's house. I'm going to make you a great nation. And Abraham looked up and said, that is the voice of the one true God. And then he just went back to, you know, making his bread or whatever he was doing. Would that faith claim do anything? Would we still talk about Abraham today? I don't think so. And that's why James had said, even, that, you know, it's great. You make a faith claim. You recognize there's one true God. Good job. The demons do that. This, the devil has conversations with the one true God. The devil does not doubt the existence of God. But his works demonstrate that he does not believe in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. He's an enemy of God based on his actions. So this is, this is a, a compelling argument here for genuine faith. It's demonstrated by works. Verse 24, this is one that we read earlier. You see that a person is justified by works, again, evidentially justified by works, and not by faith alone. So he's saying not, it's not works instead of faith. It's by works evidencing your faith, that your faith is genuine. So faith, again, I'm, I'm kind of beating this drum so we don't leave here confused. Faith is still uh, the judicial, salvation-based um, essential for salvation. Because again, the, the work of salvation is done by Jesus. We claim that through faith and it's imputed to us. His righteousness is imputed to us. It's deposited in our account. But genuine faith is what makes that transaction happen. Genuine faith. And genuine faith is justified by works. We can't just say the words. That's not enough. Okay. I like the, the way this, uh, this quote puts it. It's Charles Spurgeon. He says, the child of God works not for life. So we're not working for eternal life. Very clear. But from life. The spiritual works that we do come naturally, flow naturally as we abide in the the vine, right? Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You abide in me, it's going to be awesome. Without me, you can do nothing. I like that. So he says, the child of God works not for life, but from life. Very important distinction in words there. He does not work to be saved. He works because he is saved. So he gives one more example, James, in verse 25. One more example um, of a living faith from the Old Testament. He says in verse 25, in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers, the spies, and sent them out by another way? She protected them, guarded them. Why? Because she had faith. But that faith was justified when she did something with it. When the spies came to her house, um, she, she protected them from the guards, right? She hid them up there on the roof, then she got them out of the city another way. Uh, but when she has a conversation, you look back in Joshua, uh, and she has the conversation with the spies. She says, man, 
We have heard about your God, and I'm convinced that he is the God of heaven and earth. And then she proves that faith claim by taking those spies, betraying her own people, because she has a faith that is real. She puts works to that faith. That's profound. That's profound. Without that, she would just say, yeah, your God, he's, he's the one true God. But you guys can't hide here um, because I just, you know, I'm not going to put myself at risk. Like, was her faith genuine? Was her faith effective for salvation? You know, she's part of the family of God because there were works that proved the genuineness of her faith. And that's why James plucks her out of uh, Old Testament history to use her as the example because there was immediate works accompanying her faith profession, just like with Abraham. So again, James makes his point that without action, a mere statement of faith does not help if there's no supporting evidence found in works. And finally, verse 26, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So in Greek, the word spirit uh, is the same translation as the word for breath, oftentimes interchangeably. So basically he's saying that just like a body that is absent from breath, you know, you observe a body that does not have breath, the conclusion is that that body is, is now dead. So a faith claim that does not have evidence of works, the conclusion would be that that, that faith is, is dead. That faith is useless. It's not going to get you there. It's not effective for salvation. That's a pretty important question to ask, not only ourselves, but to ask uh, maybe family, maybe coworkers that we assume because they made a faith profession. You know, yeah, 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 God, Jesus, yeah. Huge fan, huge fan. But do they have accompanying works? Maybe we, we ought to dig in a little bit deeper. What exactly do you believe about Jesus? You, you, the name rolls off the tongue so easily. I hear it all the time in the workplace in different contexts. What do you really believe about Jesus? Because if you really believe he's the son of God, that he died on the cross for your sins, that your sins put him there, and that by his blood and by his stripes, we are healed. I am healed. And I've called on the name of the Lord because I see him as having the ability to save me and forgive me from the guilt of my sin, the penalty of my sin. Do my works, do my behaviors really match that belief? I have to ask myself that. That's what sustaining the transformation is about. It's not so that I can earn favor and merit with God. You know, going back to 1 John, he talks about that, you know, if you have the, the world's goods, you're not doing anything to help anybody with it, how can you say you have the love of Christ in you? He says, if we, if we do these things, you know, the, the works that God prepared him beforehand for us to walk, and if we're doing them, it proves our faith, the genuineness of our faith to us and to those around us so that we know we are saved. The good news is sometimes a body without breath can be revived. That's the good news. Sometimes God can bring breath where breath has run out. So some of you guys in here this morning might just need some good old-fashioned CPR, like a brother or sister to come by and like stir you up and provoke you to love and good works, to prove the genuineness of your faith. Again, not so that you can earn salvation, but you can prove that your faith is genuine. And prove it not only to yourself, but to those around you, right? That they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. If I run around all day with good words, people are going to be like, you're a hypocrite if your works don't match. 
So my exhortation for you this morning is that you would put works to your words, that you would make sure that your behavior matches your belief, because otherwise your, your faith is in desperate need of some CPR. Amen? It's not like a silly message. It's kind of a, like, check yourself before you wreck yourself. It's kind of gangster. James is like, you better walk the walk, because otherwise, how do you even know your faith is genuine? That's, a, that's a, solid, a solid word from James. So two things I want to leave you with um, that we need to stop and think about this morning. We kind of already touched on it, but again, just to look at the mirror and ask yourself, do I possess a living, saving, life-giving, genuine, authentic faith? And is that faith evidenced by the works and the fruit in my life? And if it's not, you probably need to get that right today. Talk to myself, talk to one of our elders, our volunteers, our leaders. We want to have that conversation of how do you, how do you make sure that the, that the life that you're living is evidence of a genuine faith? You need to, you need to get that right. Um, if, if yes, if the, question is, if the answer is yes, absolutely, you have a living, saving faith, what is that evidence um, in your life, those spiritual disciplines that exhibit that genuine faith? And how can you, how can you live that out uh, even more as you sustain that transformation? Don't get complacent in your faith, there's always a little bit of room that we could probably grow each day. So what are, those, what are those works? What are those works you should be doing? Should you go to seminary? Should you leave your father and mother's house and go to a strange land and, and become a missionary somewhere? Like, what do you need to do? Do you need to shave your head and become a monk and join a, a convent for you ladies? Like, what do you need to do, right, to prove the genuineness of your faith? Well, that's what's so beautiful about Scripture is, like, that part is going to be between you and the Holy Spirit. There's some serious black and whites um, in Scripture about what is right and what is wrong, um, the good works that we should be doing, but it's a stewardship. God has given you different talents, different gifts, different callings and abilities, but do you search his word to understand his heart, to understand what is he calling you to do? What is he calling you to do? So without fear of failure, without fear of rejection or, or being stereotyped, with boldness, may we step out in faith so that people would see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Amen? All right, let me pray. Father God, thank you so much for uh, this kind of um, just gut check to, to ask, is our, is our faith genuine? We, we say that we believe Jesus died for our sins. We, we've asked him to give us new life. But Lord, uh, we are all guilty of falling short. And Lord, I thank you that our salvation is not based on our performance. It's not based on works. Otherwise, we would never make it. We, we mess up every day. And God, that's why we needed amazing grace. But Lord, the, the life that we now live um, ought to demonstrate that newness. The old has passed away. The new has come. May you inspire us um, to love and good works. In Jesus' name, amen.